as if from the dead. Yes. It's been two weeks out. <laughs> we've uh, we've revised what we've done so far, and we've come back with a completely new model, haven't we? That being said, I do have a story for that actually. So I was listening back to I was listening back to a couple of the podcasts because I am the person who deals with all of the technical aspects. Slash the only person that actually listens to it. Yeah, uh, all those all those listens on SoundCloud is just me going, why? All why those, can't more people listen to it? All those forty-seven listens. <laughs> Uh, so I ended up listening to the podcast just to kind of gauge how we were doing. Not necessarily with the content. Obviously, the content is premium. Yeah. However, the, uh, the the sound quality, because I am the person who deals with all of that aspect of the of the podcast, I wanted to listen back to it and see how could we improve. Yeah, uh, I was sitting on the tube listening to it on my headphones. Yeah. And uh, you just <laughs> just see a silhouette of you from another side of the tram just going, "What the fuck <laughs> is this?" <laughs> no, so I was uh, I I was listening to it and uh we made quite a quite a good funny at one point which uh made me giggle. However, what I didn't realize is you know when you've got the uh, thousand yard stare and you're kind of looking at the person opposite you but not necessarily looking at them, kind of looking through, through them. them. Whilst glazing over your own nose. While smiling a wry, weird smile yeah. at this young child. Me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about uh, us in this. Room. No, at this young child opposite me with their parent. Yeah. And uh, oh. I had to I had to run the risk. I was like, do I tell them that I'm laughing at my own jokes? Yeah. Or do I tell them that I want to fuck the kid? What was it? <laughs> what was I can't the... remember. It was it was something good, but yeah. yeah, but I yeah I can't I shouldn't do that again. Yeah. Not not in public. <laughs> Listening to our podcast is just akin laugh. to masturbation. Yeah, just laugh. <laughs> just not in public. The mother just like um, looks up at you, looks down at her beloved, looks back at you. You're <laughs> smiling, and you go, <laughs> <laughs> just you take your earphones out. And you go, I just made a joke about kitty fiddling. Sorry. <laughs> Um, oh, this is your this is your moment to shine, Matt. This is your reminder. Oh, yeah. So I realised the last couple of podcasts we haven't actually introduced ourselves. So welcome back, everyone. This is the X in Ferris podcast, a podcast all about heavy metal. My name is Matthew, and with me is with as always is my co-host. As Mr. always, and with me as always is my co-host, Mr. Tom Watson. How is it always? As always. As Why always. does it always have to be me? <laughs> Why does it always have to be me? So have you been up to much? Well, your what own? haven't we been up to? I've been Not much. breathing in, breathing out, and remembering to breathe in again. <laughs> um... We've both been to... Waking up in the morning and going, fuck, I'm not dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is this everything <laughs> I have? Um... Yeah, we've both been to Desert Fest. We've both been to Incineration Fest. We've was, got the first-hand report. You didn't get backstage passes, but we got backstage passes. Do you want to tell everyone what we were actually doing? Fucking um, watching, looking at people on Instagram going to Desert Fest <laughs> and Incineration Fest, um, which I have on good accord, again, good accord being Instagram, that it went relatively well. Um, as well as Incineration Fest could go, I guess. Yeah, as well as it could go when you've got Carpathian Forest uh, <laughs> on the, and Winterfellith on the lineup. I do like I do like Winterfellith. It's one of those things. Definitely not going into it now, but it's one of those things where um, 
you the really black do metal have scene to... in general is an absolute minefield. Yeah, it it's very sketchy. You have to investigate something, even even if you like it at first glance. It I just barrel it's in. So now. laborious. You then have to really <laughs> investigate everyone in, involved in the band. I just commit. I just barrel in now. I'm just yeah. listening to the Satanic War Master. Well, that's that's kind of yeah, I do that. <laughs> that's, that's the thing I fucking love Satanic War but you really do have to separate the art from the artist when it comes to black metal, probably more so than any other genre, other than if there was a genre called Nazism. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, you really have to look into these stuff. Can the same be said for the other side? Can you, uh, can you disassociate... Well, Christian uh, Yeah. Can you disassociate a, uh, a band who are decidedly left-wing and say, well, it's not about the music, is it? Well, no, because that's within my echo chamber. Oh, okay. Like, so I as can... long as it serves you, you're yeah. all right with it then. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, if anything has land as in the album title as okay, a yeah. suffix, yeah. I'm already a little bit sceptical. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so, yeah, we haven't really been doing much. We've been away doing our own things. We haven't really been communicating with each other that much. Um, Just... Passive aggressive text <laughs> yeah, from fucking you. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I've been absolutely exhausted at the moment. Like, absolutely exhausted. My um, my neighbour, who lives upstairs from me, Jesus, this motherfucker. Like, I don't. He's either a secret gamer, like nocturnal gamer, at okay. about three a.m. But it's a shameful practice. So. <laughs> or he just blasts out videos on YouTube of like fucking Hiroshima, <laughs> like nuclear bombs or something. Um, because I want to like knock on the door at like 3.30 a.m. and just be like, excuse me, can you just stop playing Call of Duty? And he's like, no, I'm just watching explosions. <laughs> just <laughs> oh, continuously. Can I, can on I come in? <laughs> Tom, where are you? That's my girlfriend, by the way. That's uh, that that's not my inner psyche. <laughs> that's not my subconscious. Tom, where to are you? <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, should we get stuck in? Yeah, let's get it. There's out been of a way. lot happening. There's there been has a been happening. a lot happening. There's been Desert Fest. Yeah. There's been Incineration Fest. If anything, I feel that we might have missed a few things, but there's I, I've only got one news piece. So I tried to whittle it down, but I yeah. feel like this is this is a worthwhile news news piece. But do you I don't think anyone or? should. Um, I don't think anyone should perceive us as some kind of oh, wait, news. You feed. fucking hear that? Yeah. What is that? So speaking of neighbours, what is that? So speaking of neighbours, our our next door neighbour installed a boiler that whenever he turns on the hot tap, it creates this loud ringing noise, which you'll be able to hear now. Yep. And that. Outside, when we go out into the garden, is fucking mind-bogglingly loud. Really? Yeah. And we called him out on it, and he was like, I was just hoping no one was going to notice. I can imagine and a bunch of fucking dire wolves like, <laughs> arching their head around going, oh! It's so, uh, first Game of Thrones reference of the season. we're going to uh, we're going to move into the... Uh, Move into the woods eventually and have a log cabin just for podcasting. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. I would absolutely love to actually have a studio be space great. for this yeah. rather than coming around here. I do like I do like <laughs> coming around here. 
it just means that we'd be we'd both be a little bit more professional with it. Well, do they have um, dark arts coffee in the uh, in the mountainous regions? What of Leighton? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, dark arts coffee. Man, you probably get stabbed there. there anyway as well. So. Yeah, again, <laughs> Rick Rubin, uh, the infamous uh, producer, uh, label founder of Def Jam. Uh, Rick Rubin has confirmed that Slayer are inventors of black metal. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Here we okay. go. Yeah. So in a recent podcast interview with uh, Malcolm Gladwell, Def Jam founder and producer Rick Rubin confirmed that Thrash Doyens, Slayer, were one of the inventors of black metal. He said... Something I noticed relatively early in working with different artists that was interesting was that one of the bands I worked with is called Slayer, heavy metal band. <laughs> one of the one of the inventors. If that was that. a revelation, <laughs> so one of the things I noticed is that they were called Slayer. Um, one of the inventors of black metal, very aggressive metal, and the lyrics were very dark and heavy. To some people, they would look at that as a negative content, and then I would go to a concert and see the arena full of kids who were very much like the guys in Slayer, who were so filled with joy listening to this music. It was speaking directly to them. It completely was nourishing them. Kumbaya would not have reached them. <laughs> it's not like they have to, like, reinstate their relevance by claiming this. Like, mm. everyone's still like Slayer, and they're coming to the end of their career anyway. Is this beneficial to Slayer, or is this beneficial to Rick Rubin? Has he got something coming up on his docket that I think to believe that he's doing a new, like, metal record and yeah. he wants to... Yeah. From what I've witnessed, he's... He's um he's a very SoCal um no sh no shoes or slippers kind of dude, you know sl slippers no <laughs> shoes or uh, any any socks whatsoever. Um, he doesn't have that much to say for himself, I think, in interviews. So he basically just blags his way through, uh, talking about stuff, and then a clangor like this suddenly comes out, you know and everyone's like, "Can you just justify what you're talking about there?" <laughs> you know who's the real victim in this. It's uh, poor Kronos from uh, from Venom. Yeah, he spent yeah. so long yeah. trying to convince everyone that he did actually invent black metal, <laughs> yeah. and then a bunch of fucking dweebs from Norway come along and they claim it, and now Slayer's claiming it. And yeah. poor poor Conrad, he's just he's sat there, just going, "What is my life?" <laughs> yeah. Sitting totally. in Newcastle. Yeah. I mean, I've got a fucking album title called it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit strange. Like I don't know where he. Like the aesthetic of Slayer. Yeah, because it's not maybe. just the music. It is a combination of yeah. everything that surrounds, like lyrical themes, aesthetic, the actual music itself, funnily yeah. enough, because that needs to be part of this. Yeah. So uh, I have to ask you a question. Are you a fan of the films? No. <laughs> no uh, the Terminator? Oh, I absolutely love them, yeah. Yeah, all you, of them? All of them, wait. Uh, I would say... Uh, the first narrative arc, okay. the first closure okay. of Terminator. Uh, are you a fan of 2001 and Space Odyssey? Yeah. So if you enjoy all those films, then chances are you're willing to welcome your new robotic overlords in the same way that I am. Because Sonic. Yeah, Sonic. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, man. I, that was an amazing marketing ploy by like changing. Um, I think they the had that overnight. They had the plan on doing that. One hundred percent. Very yeah. clever. 
Yeah. But also, I was constantly thinking throughout the initial marketing run, like, who is this demographic? Like, who are they trying to appeal That's to? That's what I was like. It's like, who, anyone who's that, anyone who's of the age that this is geared to doesn't know who Sonic is. Yeah. Like, I know they who had, Sonic They had is. Sonic Mania came that came out last year, I think, which was yeah. like the first good Sonic game that came out in decades. Um and I was thinking, like, if this is for the old heads, the old <laughs> Sonic heads, the old Mega Drivers, like, they're gonna—they're not really gonna want to go see a kind of a film that's aimed towards kids. And there's not really gonna be that many sort of in-joke references because there's no like fucking emerald, no garden, whatever. Oh, God, do you think they can? Uh, <laughs> do you think they can redesign Jim Carrey? I don't think they need Just, to. No, I think that I think he's gonna smash it. Fucking terrible. I think awful. he's going to do well. No. I think Jim Carrey will do all right. No. Um, but I don't think Sonic, I think they need to recast Sonic. That child in a bag joke actually did make me laugh out loud. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Also, is he, was he originally wearing pumas on his feet? <laughs> they were like red with, no, they were like Adidas. Which they? means that he purports the, the death of um, gay men. What? Uh, Puma is... Like I think linked into that whole, uh, ho- what's the hotel chain that's been in the news recently? But, oh, um, um, the uh, I know that they the guy owns the one in Mayfair. Yeah, I can't remember yeah. what it's called though. Uh, Dadabots, an artificial intelligence software that was developed by Berkeley College of uh, Music graduates Zach Sikowski and CJ Carr have developed a means of creating AI-based death metal. So this is a stream which uses artificial intelligence system called Neural Network, has been running 24-7 since the 24th of March, in that time has been continuously creating new music in a death metal style without any human input except feeding existing death metal into the neural network. The network spots patterns in the music to identify the characteristic features of the genre and then recreates those features uh, to create the new music. What does that mean? So essentially they get a bunch of death metal, play it to this AI that's just sitting there going, oh, come on, and then craps out this artificially made... I don't even know how to describe it. Have you had a chance to listen to it? Because no. this has been quite well no. publicised. No, I haven't. It was like through Vice. So it's a stream that is just continuously going. Yeah. Like, it does not stop. And it sounds awful. So oh after God. several failed attempts at creating stable, listenable, <laughs> listenable death metal, the creators turned to the music of a band called Arch Spire, which ended up being the perfect template to generate music tunes via artificial intelligence. I haven't actually haven't had a chance to listen to Arch Spire. Right. But Sikowski explains the remarkable <laughs> the remarkable part is the high quality to shit ratio. Uh, we tried this uh, we tried this with a hundred albums and found that Arch Spire's music made for the most interesting bot. Zero curation was necessary. Everything it generates sounded good to us. You're hearing everything it makes. Our theory is the faster the blast beats, the more stable than the net. Arch Spire is absurdly fast. They're basically machines. So far, we haven't found anything that works better. Anything? No. Not wow. At all. So, so basically, they got a robot to just shit out um, 
an AI version of Risk by Megadeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But however, Art Spire have found out about this, and Art Spire adds, uh, we've been hearing about this AI that's trained on Art Spire writing death metal over the past few weeks. Well, here's the thing. We aren't actually surprised about this. We've been utilising similar technology to write our music this entire <laughs> <What>? time. <laughs> The program we've been used is called TOBI, T-O-B-I. It stands for Technically Outrageous Boner Inducing. TOBI has been part of our writing process since 2009, and while you may notice that he takes on the physical form as a guitarist in the band, rest assured under those tight-fitting clothes, he's more man than machine. His name should be Chad, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Totally outrageous bullshit invention. (laughs) I mean, it's it's not particularly... Out of everything that I've seen that artificial intelligence is capable of, yeah. this is not I mean, a I've worthwhile endeavour. I've seen little robots dab. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get... Did that go up your nose, Matt? I choked on my dark arts. It's <laughs> trying to kill me. Uh, okay, moving on from there. Um, unfortunately, Matt, uh, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, and I don't want you to start crying, Dark Arts Coffee, but okay. um, there's n- there doesn't seem to be any rec- uh, reconciliation for original Morbid Angel uh, lineup anytime soon. Okay. Um, so former Morbid Angel frontman, David Vincent, uh, he's got his own project, I Am Morbid, mm. Um so the, the group's current lineup for, is completed by former Morbid Angel drummer uh, Tim Young, uh, plus guitarist Bill Hudson, who's been in a couple of average bands, and then uh, Kelly McLaughlin. Um, so David Vincent, in an interview recently, spoke about I Am Morbid and his right to play Morbid Angel songs, uh, but also his relationship with the original Morbid Angel lineup. Um, so the thing that really aggravates me whenever bands talk about original lineups and how they're probably not going to be able to get back together, sort out their differences, they always compare it to a marriage and they always compare the materials to children. Every <laughs> not fucking Not time. CD collections then. Something that would probably be a better metaphor. Exactly, it would, yeah. I mean, at least it wouldn't be so personal or or melodramatic. But it's always about a relationship and about a divorce. Um, So uh, Vincent told, um, I think it's um, George Bottas of the Metal Global Radio Show, uh, which is like a Portuguese show, He said, times come and life works the way that it does. Um, And there are times when it's like a marriage. Sometimes they don't always work forever. But that doesn't mean that the children that we've had together, that I still don't love my children. Although Trey, um, and the way how you say his surname is, because there's been a lot of deliberation of how you pronounce uh, his surname. You it could just ask him. One hundred percent. Um, as egg toth, as egg toth, like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> what was that last syllable? Because it's as egg toth, Trey. As egg toth, bro. Um, but <laughs> a lot of people Florida think it's like as or something. Oh, okay. Um, but it's Trey as egg toth, uh, which I mean, he's a seminal guitarist. He's very, very important in the trajectory of death metal, um, and that 
is where the the relationship kind of falters between Trey, who is morbid angel essentially mm-hmm. and david vincent who is i am morbid um so yeah although trey uh and i have some irreconcilable differences that doesn't in any way preclude me from still having the love and the passion for all of my children so he basically goes on and on and on about how they're not going to get back together um i remember a few years ago trey azagtoad's mum when he heard when she heard about I am morbid, she then got uh, in touch with David Vincent online through Facebook oh to say, uh, "David, what are you doing? Like, you know that Trey is the original member of Morbid Angel. Do you really got think- a man on twi- uh, Tinder? She's yeah, swipe right. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, from this interview, uh, there's been no reconciliation, and I don't think there's going to be any uh, any time soon." Sorry, I don't think anyone's holding their breath, so it's all right. We'll Well, just I don't know. Just let them battle it out. Same thing for um Amon Amarth, actually, at the moment. Uh the drummer, Frederick Anderson. Just released a new record, haven't they? Yeah, they have, yeah. Uh so the ex-drummer, uh Frederick Anderson, says they uh getting kicked out of the band was the best thing that ever happened to him. That sounds very Alan Partridge. It definitely does. Um, so Anderson was fired uh, from Monomath in March 2015, um, just as the band were preparing to begin work on um, Yom's Viking. Um, so Monomath opted to enlist the session drummer, uh, Tobias Gustafsson, uh, during the recording sessions. Um, so basically, in an interview uh, with Australia's Wall of Sound, Anderson called out on Math singer Johan Hegg for allegedly spreading lies about him in interviews uh, and slammed his former bandmates for not giving him his full share when he was forced out of the group. So I l- dug into this a little bit because no one, especially from Amon Math, really alluded to exactly why Anderson was kicked out. Okay. Uh, so I did, a, I did a little bit of digging and this is what I found out. So they said that his behaviour wasn't right for the tour and the band were sort of organically separating themselves from Anderson. Uh, I'm going to read this verbatim because it's mental. Um, I don't know what year he said this, but obviously it was the time after he left Monomaster within the past four years. He said, on the, loss, on the last tour I did in Madrid, uh, in the dressing room after the show, I was told I had to stop doing these stick tricks. I did them, <laughs> I did them two to three times during the set. And I'll admit, they didn't always succeed. <laughs> in fact... He knows his limitations there. <laughs> In fact, probably the most, probably most of the times, I didn't catch it. Um, well, they said I had to stop because they could get hit if it flew out uh, to the front of the stage. Sometimes, but very rarely it did. Uh, I said, okay, really? But <laughs> has it happened that you ever got hit? Uh, no, but it could happen. It would hurt and we'd look stupid. <laughs> Me again. But the odds uh, of that happening is like really small. <laughs> well, you can keep Random doing numbers. it. <laughs> well, I mean, you can keep doing it. But if I get hit by one of your drumsticks, I'll come up and poke your eye out with it. <laughs> um, 
That's when I realised I couldn't take any more of their shit. Sure, I can understand if it did hurt if you'd get hit by one, but come on, boo fucking who. Man up. It's not like I was trying to hit them. I was just trying to do a cool show for the crowd. <laughs> I was just trying to do my tricks, bro. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that. That is spellbinding. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Fuck them on a math. Anyway, they're shit. <laughs> I, uh, I did listen to that new record like once through and just went, nah. That's no, not, not for me. me. It's not for me. So that moves us swiftly on to our main topic for today. Yeah. Which was originally proposed by myself, and you seemed a little trepidatious when I initially... Still am. Oh, really? Still am. Nah, it's good. I am looking forward to it. So it we is are... a real beast. Yeah. So we are trying to open up kind of, you know, avenues that we can go down in terms of things that we're covering, and we thought maybe we might talk a little bit about the gear that's actually used Oh yeah. In, uh, in metal uh and i think this is probably if not one of the most important pieces of gear that's ever to the point in which it's so notorious yeah it's notorious it's significant i don't much i mean it is important because i don't think you'll find as much content uh online uh sort of source material for a very specific item than with this one do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, if you could look up uh, the specs of clones of what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. But we might get a little bit dry and sciencey, but don't worry. We'll throw some yeah. dick jokes in. Yeah, don't try worry. And keep it, in keep fact, it light. In fact, uh, I'll give you an audial representation of what we're talking about now and uh, see if you can guess at home. <laughs> <laughs> If you get that over my microphone, I'm going to be pissed. No, I didn't. It's fine. It's fine. So we're going to take a... uh, We're going to be bouncing intercontinental today. We're going to be going from Japan to Sweden. So we thought we'd cover uh, a piece of equipment, which is called the Boss HM2. And it is the Boss. It is the Boss. Yeah. So are you familiar with this pedal originally? When when I mentioned that we should do this, how much did you know going so, into it? Uh, I knew of its existence. Uh, I knew that when I was originally learning how to play guitar, uh, just a, a, a sort of a disclaimer, Matt and I both play guitar and we both play in bands. So Poorly. We, <laughs> uh, that's subjective. You know. uh, I've got to be modest, but I've also, I must admit, I love my babies. <laughs> I love my children. Um, so Matt and this I... This podcast a, is now your child. Yeah, Matt and Every I... Every single one. Multiple beautiful. relationships. We're cheating on each other with each other. Um, so yeah, when I was first learning how to play guitar, this pedal did actually come up because it is... I think maybe because of the name and what it suggests, because it's not very subtle, is it? No. Um, I was thinking I probably need that if I want to sound a certain way. Um so, yeah, I was familiar with it. I never actually played with one, though. No? No. So I, I've played in a couple of bands, um, one of which was took a lot of influence from that kind of Swedish death metal sound. Uh, so we were heavily, heavily into our boss HM2. And Who to be that? honest, uh, Black Mass. Ah. Um, on Holy Roll Bloody Records. Bloody good band. Yeah. Bloody good Well, band. not until I got into them, but... Uh, so for anyone who hasn't listened to it, it is not a particularly pleasant sounding 
piece of equipment, even for people who enjoy metal. Yeah. I don't think everyone who listens to metal will necessarily enjoy the particular strain of metal that this creates. Yeah, 100%. So a little bit about the history of it. Um, so it's, it's a Boss product, which is part of the Roland family. Uh, Boss was founded in around 1973 in Japan with the earliest product called the B100, the Boss, which was released in 1974. Specifically is- for Bruce. Yes, which was a which was a clip-on preamp, which was used for amplifying acoustic guitars. So really, maybe who knows? Maybe he did use it. Maybe he did. it would be a shame if he did not. I'll um I'll give him a bell afterwards. <laughs> but it wasn't until almost ten years later that the actual pedal that we're covering came to fruition. So uh, the HM2, which stands for uh, heavy metal, <laughs> although it's called the HM2, but I never found an HM1. It's a bit like Troll Two. Yeah. Like, the, there was no original. Um, well, there was, but it had There was, but they had absolutely too. nothing to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Which so, is quite funny because HM2 is like the Troll 2 of the pedal world. It takes itself seriously and everyone's yeah. laughing. It's like the it. best, worst pedal. Yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, created in, uh, it was launched in 1983. Uh, and this was all because Boss kind of wanted to capitalise on the success of the uh, DS1, which was a distortion pedal that yeah. they'd made a, a couple of years earlier. Um, and the initial idea of the Boss HM2 was to create this kind of martial full stack sound. Mm. Uh, at that point, a lot of heavier bands were coming into the fore and they were kind of looking to capitalise on that. However, unfortunately... I don't think that they really managed to actually encapsulate the sound of a, of a uh, Marshall full stack no. because this sounds absolutely <laughs> nothing like it. And given given the limitations of the pedal, I don't see how they could have ever have gotten to yeah. that kind of sound. Imagine the creator of it like going to Boss and being like, it's finished. <laughs> well, yeah. I, so, I mean, the the lifespan of the pedal was pretty short, and the the reason for it being discontinued is because the sales weren't particularly great, and no one can really tell why. Well, I think everyone can tell why it didn't yeah. sell very well. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have Andy from Reverb.com kind of uh, plugging it for them. Exactly. Yeah. Who is one of the worst human beings on the planet? I had to watch a lot of amp and pedal demonstration videos and every time it was andy just going so i've got this uh 1979 gibson i'm running it into this uh stomp box here and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna roll back the game it's like whenever i watch one of those pedal videos i'm just like just fucking turn it up dude it's like I just, ASMR, I wanna, though. It's i just like... want to see it at full whack like why do you have to have like a pleasing crunch you like, i down... want to see that thing maxed out you look down at the dial at uh, the knobs and they are literally um crowns of a penis each time you <laughs> just change them just like tickling them tickling <laughs> them up so in around 19 so the production originally began in japan but in about 1986, uh, the the production moved from Japan uh, to uh, Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, in which it it did use different components from the Japanese version to the Taiwan version, and a lot of people will contest that this in some way lessened the quality of the pedal. Right. But to be honest, I can't really tell a difference. Really. Having listened to back to back 
demonstrations of both of the pedals. It's difficult to tell your from your yeah. So Jesus, yeah, your search history are... must be so boring. <laughs> I just don't want the police coming around. <laughs> So it eventually was discontinued in 1991, which was interesting because that was exactly around the time that the pedal kind of almost found its audience because this was this was the year that Entomb's Left Hand Path was released. For sure. And that was the um that was the album that really It was the turning point, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think even though people have been using it before then, within that genre as well, so you had like Nihilist using it and Carnage using it, uh, but it was really left-hand path that kind of almost didn't didn't just get the sound of the pedal, but got the sound of the genre. And that's the thing is I think that it has to be said, there's a difference between Swedish death metal and Swedish death metal what the two different um areas that yeah so there is there is death metal from sweden yeah and then there is swedish death metal metal. and i think that this even though you have products such as orange which are kind of synonymous with the the doom genre i think this might be the only piece of equipment in which it's an absolute necessity to have it in order to play the genre of music that you want to play. It did create its own genre in and of itself. Yeah, and it wasn't just the pedal itself, but the players utilising the pedal and Sunlight Studios Mm. in Sweden, um, incorporating the pedal into the sound of the music. It actually became almost like an extended band member. Yeah. Um, But what I found quite interesting, what I... What kept on being a bit of a sticking point to me in terms of its history, before we even got into um, Swedish death metal and the evolution of that scene, I was thinking about why they made it. Other than to replicate a sound prior to it, it was, or another piece of equipment. Um, I was thinking, well, like, why are they trying to cash in on the the zeitgeist at the time like heavy metal as a consumer's product so metal had already had already established itself by mm. 1983 but i was just trying to think like when did the production of the pedal start did it start it i know it was released in 1983 but did it come out or did they start working on it in 1982 1981 were they did they have replicas of it did they have prototypes or anything like that and then they ended up with this one so i just started thinking about like what was going on around 1982 and 1983 that encouraged them acted as a catalyst for them to make a heavy metal pedal yeah uh a a shit one but but, and i was just thinking like what sound would have come out because the hm2 is so heavy and distorted and fuzzy um, I was thinking, what could have come out that would have inspired that sound? Yeah. And there's not much. Um, so, like, Black Sabbath released Born Again in 1983. That's probably one of the heaviest records that would have come out at the mm. time. Uh, Girls' School, Merciful Fate, Melissa, yeah. that came out in 1983. Motorhead, Another Perfect Day. I so- would probably say something along the lines of Motorhead. But then you've got Show No Mercy and Kill Em All. 
yeah. as well. 1983, they're sort of the, the blueprint to go off of for a pedal, I guess. In terms of the actual DNA of, of Swedish death metal, yeah. I think that there is a definitive line from Motorhead into yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. Like, and then, other than that, I mean, Mustaine was fucking hung out to try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got all the coke and alcohol sweats. It was uh, just, um, it was just, uh, he was just trying to look after that dog that got kicked. If anything, he's <laughs> like, yeah, if anything, he's the John Wick of uh, of metal. I don't really get that reference other than Keanu Reeves. Have you not watched John Wick? It's not my thing, is it? It's really good. It's, it's really thing, good. It? Do you not like martial arts films? No, I do. Yeah, I really yeah. like martial arts it's films. It's like up to 11 stupid. It okay. is. Yeah, it's great. And it's all about a guy who gets his dog killed. So And I'm probably, to... I'm one of the minority that actually can tolerate Keanu Reeves' bad acting. He's pretty good in the film. Really? Yeah. Because he's never good in anything. Uh, he's good in My Own Private Idaho, but that's because he's okay. so fucking wooden. Point Break. He's not good in Point Break. <laughs> he's good in Speed. He's good in Speed. Yeah. Uh, but that's only because he has speed to go... Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about 1982 as well. So Venom released Black, uh, black Metal in 1982. Uh, Judas Priest, mm. uh, Screaming for Vengeance, Man of War, <laughs> Battle Hymns. Um, so they're all relative in the justification of the pedal's existence and the reason why they would have made it. I think that's quite important as well. Like People talk a lot about what the pedal became, mm. but no one really talks about why they needed to make it in the first place other than to cash in on other distortion pedals and heads at the time. But there must've been something about the cultural impact of the music that was coming out for them to be like, we need to cash on in on this and like release a heavy metal pedal. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't even seem like, cause it, as we mentioned, it didn't really kick in until after the, after yeah. the pedal was discontinued. So it's discontinued in 1991 and replaced by the HM3 uh, the, the same year, I think. Um, which, if anything, if, if the HM2 is a bad, good pedal, the HM3 is a bad, bad pedal. Like, <laughs> no one likes the HM3. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not just been used in metal. So it has been it has been utilized outside of the genre. Yeah. To some quite interesting extents. One of which is the guitarist for Pink Floyd, David Gilmore. And following that, there's even bands such as My Bloody Valentine yeah. who have utilized the pedal. But they use it as a boost, don't they? More than the actual sound itself. Yeah. So I mean quite a lot of pe quite a lot of people do use the pedal just because it has a very distinctive EQ section that they kind of use it as a uh as a filter and as a kind of like a preamp before yeah. the actual distortion that they're going to use. So I've got one I've got one right here. I don't know. Right. I'm good. Dead air. Fucking dead air. So there you go. You're looking at it now. Look at it in all its brilliance. It's it's pretty ugly, isn't it? It is. It's iconic. It's five years older than we are. Really? Yeah, which is crazy. Like, when I see, like, guitars on eBay that are, like, 1969, I'm like, holy shit, that's 20, 21 years older than I am. This one's got had a fair 
bit of stomping on it. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to find one that doesn't have quite a large amount of the paint chipped off. So it's enclosed in a black case. It has four knobs. It's got the level, which controls the output volume of the effect. Uh, It's got these colour knobs. It's a really odd thing to call the EQ section on a pedal. Yeah. So you've got colour mix uh, L, uh, which controls the amount of low frequencies uh, in the output signal. You've got colour mix H, uh, which controls the amount of high frequencies in the output signal. Uh, You've got distortion, which um, surprisingly enough attempts to control the (laughs) amount of distortion um and this is where it gets kind of interesting isn't it the distortion uh knob so straight like in a way this knob doesn't work no not between what is it supposed to be like 10 o'clock three and eight is it three and eight yeah apparently yeah so it's debatable so this is a pedal of extremes yeah. Extreme metal. Thank you. It's like going from a perfectly fine, uh, working, usable knob straight to knob rot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, essentially it's pretty much useless beyond the, uh, beyond the, what did we say it was? Three o'clock? Uh, uh, yeah, just after eight. Yeah. So just after eight, it's pretty much useless. And you keep diming it, you keep diming, you keep turning it up. And then it doesn't, it doesn't change the sound whatsoever. Uh, and you have to wonder, because we were talking about prototypes, what jammy fucking get uh, boss managed to get that past, like, the quality? Like, who, who didn't turn around and just went, this doesn't work, mate. You've got to, you've got to start again. Yeah. Like, yeah. In fact, you're almost buying a pedal that doesn't do what it, yeah. what it says it's going to do. It's like... The only thing I can compare it to, to nowadays is how games are released by these huge um, conglomerate uh, companies uh, that are full of bugs. And then you've got patch teams afterwards to just work on making sure that it's like functioning properly and they sort they iron it out after it's been distributed to the public <laughs> but they didn't have it at the time but no one was working on this <laughs> no. after it came out if anything people had to work with this to try and get yeah. a good sound and interestingly enough there is only one sound for this pedal although david gilmore and belinda butch would say differently yeah and that that sound is everything maxed fully i actually don't know what it sounds like with the dials turned like further to the left it sounds like a wet blanket it sounds it sounds like it's it sounds like it was designed just to do this really it should just have a level and that's it right. like you just have one knob yeah. that you just turn up and it's just based on how loud you want it so the distortion knob has pretty much no activity whatsoever however one thing that and I know that a lot of producers that I've read have said that the most distinctive part of the pedal is not actually the, the, the distortion clipping. It's actually to do with the EQ section, which is... So we're all doing it wrong yeah, after all these years. Which Well, I know that a lot of bands ended up... Because I think, I think originally, uh, to get that kind of entombed sound... Uh, they were actually dialing back the distortion slightly and running it in front of a DS1 distortion pedal. Uh, 
which I know that a lot of bands have been doing recently is they've just been using the EQ section of the pedal and running it into a more pre preferred distortion just to give it that kind of colour. That's cheating, of, there, yeah. isn't it? It is. Yeah, if you're going to do it, just do, just it, do it. Yeah. I don't want to see any other pedals on a board other than three HM2s. <laughs> I ha We have... In one of my old bands, we did manage to run four HM2s into each other, and it was just a fucking mess. Really? Like, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I can't even... It's kind of like one of those Lovecraft things where you can't even look, begin to describe it. Words, <laughs> words don't exist. But yeah, so the so the EQ has around about like twenty plus or minus decibels of uh, of cut and boost. And one person who really enjoys this sound and has used it quite a lot uh, in their time is Kurt Balloon of Converge. Uh, so he. So I believe that the EQs kind of sit around about 88 hertz to 1 kilohertz, uh, which means absolutely nothing to the majority of people listening to this. Mm. But essentially what that has is having such a narrow kind of width of frequencies is it allows the bass and the drums to kind of fit around the sound. So whilst it might sound awful and harsh by itself, once mixed in, in the context of a, of a larger band, it's actually almost fills in all these spaces that wouldn't have been filled by, right, by the yeah. rhythm section. There's absolutely no nuance to this pedal. It is just a case of just dialing it to the max and just letting it go. Yeah. I mean, that's the, do you, it, that's the thing. Like, it's, um, it's a total mess. Of a pedal like it technically it's a mess yeah um, it sounds like a mess its usage is um so limited it's probably one of, my, one of the most limiting pedals that's ever come into creation and distribution yeah but and this is i think the reason why we're talking about it it has generated so much music literally from its sound alone it's like a concept <laughs> if anything it's like a concept pedal like imagine that if bands had like we, we're gonna it's release not about a the sound it's about the idea yeah exactly okay we've got to think of a concept album let's hit the hm2 <laughs> we could say that this pedal is the fundamental reason as to why swedish death metal exists and it has its own usp would you yeah. agree with that i think um because we we mentioned previously that it, it almost created the genre. Yeah. So the the subgenre of a subgenre of a genre, um, and I think that that is almost to do with the the limitations of the pedal forces guitarists to play in a completely different way. Mm. So at the time, you kind of had two divisions in the Swedish death metal scene that being the gothenburg scene mm -hmm. and the stockholm scene so you had bands in gothenburg such as like at the gates dark tranquility and in flames who if they were to be given their own title i guess they'd kind of be called melodic death metal uh whereas you have uh, the stockholm scene which was like uh carnage uh nihilist entombed morbid uh yeah dismember um who who created it wasn't called stockholm death metal 
it was called Swedish death metal. Yeah. So there is a difference between the death metal from Sweden and Swedish death metal. Whilst the Gothenburg scene kind of opted for more almost kind of technical, kind of eloquent style, uh, the Stockholm scene kind of went the path closer to kind of hardcore punk. And we mentioned previously kind of motorhead that's kind of characterised by this fast, de-beated rhythms. So Thomas uh, uh, Skogsberg, Mm. uh, the producer uh, and engineer at Sunlight Studios, um, he was the guy that basically utilised the pedal um, to the band's sort of creative flavour. Um, and he was able to mix it well enough for it to sort of justify being uh, a heavy sound, I yeah. guess, so to speak. Um, but uh, what I don't know is, is it is it Gothenburg and Stockholm? Do they all converge, <laughs> converge um, at Sunlight Studios and then... It's about the differentiation because I think he's more Stockholm based, isn't he? Yeah. So he was working with because uh, he recorded in tombs, yeah, like all of kind of in tombs iconic records. I know that before that before he was using that pedal, um, Nihilist as early as uh, only Shreds Remain, their their first EP, you can hear that you can hear that HM2 sound on it. It's probably not as thick and as dense as it is when it kind of got to left-hand path era. Yeah. But he certainly took a liking to this pedal and kind of understood that it really created this identity for this this genre of music. Quite a lot of the bands at the time, they were all very young uh, and they didn't have particularly great equipment. So I know that quite a lot of the bands were using solid-state amps. If you speak to anyone who's an amp enthusiast, they will say that solid-state amps are the absolute devil and you want to be moving towards things like valve amps or at least valve state amps. But a lot of these bands were young. They didn't have a lot of, a lot of money, so they yeah. were using these valve state amps, which were quite cheap, uh, quite cheap guitars. And I think, if anything, this pedal is a bit of a blessing because it does absolutely cover everything. Yeah. Like, no one's sitting listening to a Swedish death metal going, are they using new strings on that? The strings sound a bit dead yeah. because you just can't tell anything. It's worth mentioning that this pedal um, was used on the Skogsberg recording of um, Soulside Journey yeah. by mm. Dark Throne. And I actually ended up listening to that record because I ended up having to listen to a lot of HM2 bass bands. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't think I want to listen to them yeah, for a long a while after this. Um you're missing the clarity, aren't you? Yeah. And and uh, Soulside Journey, I think, is actually a really stunning piece of work it's in amazing. terms of death metal. It's amazing. I think it's totally um, underappreciated. If they were to release another record that sounded like that, I would be fully on board. Well, we'll see. Oh, yeah. Coming up soon. All right, Freddie foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people, I mean, <clears throat> Thomas uh, Skogsberg himself, whenever people try to interrogate him as to like why he started using the pedal in the first place and why he insisted on using the pedal in so many records that came into the studio that needed to be recorded, um, he's, he's not cagey, just doesn't have that much to say about it. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a man of very few words. 
I think he just he, he's basically just shrugging, saying, "I don't know. It was there. Yeah. I just wanted to use it." Yeah. Um, whereas now people actively seek that buzzsaw chainsaw sound, like the Thomas Skogsberg Sunlight Studio sound. Um, so I think he. I think he's modest about it. I, th- I don't think he knows. I think he, he he's probably very probably aware. Probably recognises the impact that the it impact, had. But he doesn't yeah. care. Maybe no. it's just like... It was, was just, just a, a thing that was done. So uh-huh. I was able to find one thing that he said about it. Uh, and he said, I discovered the HM2 in the late 80s. I always liked the mid-range. It suited me perfectly. He's a man of few words. Very a man of He's few very words. Concise. Very direct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, towards the end of the nineties, um, early two thousands, the pedal did. The pedal was always there. There was always going to be bands that were using it, but it was slightly dropped in popularity, uh, and has really come back within the last. I'd probably say about ten years, maybe. Mm-hmm. It didn't just get used for Swedish death metal. Uh, I mean, all the bands that were using it were heavy bands to begin with. So you had bands in the grindcore and cross-punk scene. But I don't think for people who are fans of that music that they are familiar with the history of the pedal. So it didn't really become synonymous with those those genres of music. Mm. Uh, Eventually, though, however, it kind of, almost like poetry, it rhymes. It came back to the fact that it almost found a new home uh, with Kurt Ballou, who is the guitarist of Converge and uh, the producer at God City Studios. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of like the new home. It's almost like the new Sunlight yeah. Studios. He's used the pedal to quite a large extent um, with bands such as Nails, Black Breath, Trap Them. I believe Trap Them, he was actually introduced to yeah. the pedal by the guitarist from the Trap thing Them. Is though- with all of these new bands, just before we go into a bit more, um, are they using HM2s or are they using clones? So I know that because it wasn't until after these bands came out that the kind of resurgent bands came out that people ended up started creating these clones. Because the problem is, is that there was only a finite amount of HM2 pedals out there. Yeah. And I mean, this. so I got mine off ebay and it's quite they are they can be quite difficult to find and one of the reasons for that is is the fact that quite a lot of the members of the old swedish death metal scene each have double digit figures of these pedals just stored up like these weird like de beers diamond motherfuckers (laughs) who are just trying to you know withhold the stock just to make sure that the prices go up yeah i do think um one of the other contributors to the resurgence of it mm. um alongside converge is um gc <coughs> uh gc green uh of godflesh yeah uh, the basis of godflesh um i believe he used his an hm2 as well yeah um and his his pe- uh, his bass sound just sounds like buildings collapsing absolutely it's a battery it sounds like a blast furnace going yeah. off the pedal came back to popularity with Nails, Black Breath, Trap Them, Harm's Way, who are more of a hardcore band than you would consider a, a metal yeah. band. Although a lot of the crossover into, bands, right, have started using it. Yeah, although they kind of moved into this kind of industrial sound, which also, you know, comes from that kind of god flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
However, because there's because there's not a huge amount of these pedals out there, people found out that they could actually profit from creating their own clones of these pedals. To mention a few, we have a BYOC the Swede. The Do you really Swede. want to call call it the Swede? That sounds a bit like yeah, slightly the um, the diff kid of the potato family. <laughs> So that's for around $70 to $90. Uh, there's one caveat to that is that you actually have to build the pedal yourself at home. Right. I've got no fucking time for that. Uh, on top of that, we've also got the Bayringer HM300. A Bayringer are one of those pedals, well, one of those pedal companies and gear companies in general that kind of get shat on from a great height because they're incredibly cheap. Um, however... A few of their pedals are just straight clones of very iconic pedals. So the HM300 is a direct clone of the HM2. Yeah. And when you're looking at pedals such as... So the pedal that I bought was around £150. When it came out, I think it was probably Jesus. between like £80 to £90. Can you believe how much he spent on that? Yeah. I'm, they saw me coming. That's what PayPal yeah. credit's there for, man. Uh, so, so that pedal is for the reasonable price of $25. Wow. Which is crazy. So you've got people spending huge amounts of money on these weird boutique uh, clones of yeah. this pedal that sounded not great to begin with. But there is, one, there is one problem with that, is the fact that the enclosure is bright fluorescent pink. What's wrong with that, man? I've got no problem with that. I've got I no like problem the with that either. Yeah. Hey, hey, neither <laughs> of us in this room have any the problem, problem with, with that. The pink. <laughs> uh, on top of that, we got the Nine of Swords Funeral Party, which is an HM2 inspired circuit. Yep. Just has two controls, which is a volume and a tone, which Mental. I think is great. Just keep it bare minimum. Just one knob. You could have gone one further and just had the one knob, and that's a hundred pounds. We got the uh, Dunwich Amps Tyrant pedal. Yeah, uh, which is actually Nails's uh, signature. Yeah. No pedal. knobs. No knobs. Does it not have a knob? No, it does have a knob. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> uh, we've got the Abominable Electronics Throne Torture, which goes for an eye-watering amount of $195, which claims to be the HM2, but better. We'd all it's like not to too do our, hard. We'd all like to do our own reviews, wouldn't we? Uh, and Patrick, who is the uh, who's the maker of those pedals, ensures that all his pedals go out with the knobs turned up to full. Oh, that's which nice. I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So many many of these pedals have kind of taken this design and tweaked them. Yeah. A few more actually. The funniest ones that I've found. Um, so. Anarchy Audio uh, released a version of the HM2, um, uh, as did uh, Lone Wolf Audio, with its um, left-hand wrath. Uh, <laughs> aside from its tribute name, it actually improves the original pedal by adding more settings oh, options. God. Yeah, don't think that's an improvement. No. Uh, and then there's also, um, you can find the uh, Enormous Door LHP Extreme Distortion, uh, LHP actually standing for left-hand path. Okay. So there are yeah. pedals out there now that are inspired specifically by Entombed and specifically by left-hand path. The problem with all of this is, and for my money, if you want that sound, 
I don't want a pedal that essentially changes the original sound of the HM2. Like yeah. people going like, we've changed this and we tweaked this. My idea is, is that it's a it's a binary pedal. It does one thing. It's either on or it's off. And it's either full whack or it's nothing. And that is exactly what it does. I don't I don't want to sit there kind of tailoring the tone. Yeah. I mean, what's your takeaway from I'm, I'm that? I'm not a like, pedal purist at all. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I have quite a minimal setup. I don't like fiddling around too much. Um, I think with the HM2, everything, even though it sounds like garbage, um, it makes everything quite easy. Like, especially if you just use it for a boost. Yeah. Um, so... I, but I agree with you. I completely concur. Like adding more settings to a pedal that is notorious for being bad and stripped back and not even working and functioning properly is a little bit backwards. Maybe it's a little bit like what is the purpose and the intention of what you're trying to do with a pedal that was released faulty. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's weird. I've realised that you've been making, making a few choice comments about this pedal. What, that do shit? You, do you actually like it? I like it, but um, I would, for my playing style, I don't think I'd have that much use for it. No. Um, I'd only use it as a boost. Yeah. Because I, I bloody love my boosts. Yeah. Because I just want to be louder than everyone else. Um, I, yeah. I think at this point, and given the fact that it did have its... It did have its heyday and then it had its resurgence i think it probably has gotten to the point where the market of yeah. bands that ha- use this and utilize this sound <laughs> it's just become saturated i think it and works really well in industrial music yeah actually uh more so than say when bands like harm's way use it to me it does just sound a bit throwback um maybe a little bit cheap yeah um Come at, uh, I hope the Harm's Way singer is listening to this because he just has to he's look at me and I'll be pulverised. He's going to twist your head off. He's going to make you do 20 push-ups and then twist your head off yeah. afterwards. <laughs> um, but, hey, I'm not the only person that is sceptical or uh, even completely against this pedal. A lot okay. of people have criticised this pedal to the extent where they think it's just an abominable piece of trash uh one guy one user of the pedal uh i am q man has said um this goes into the wtf are they thinking category okay. uh, i mean what do they expect this to sound like a hyped up marshall jcm 800 this pedal is so bad that i find myself thinking why did i spend any time with this pedal knowing full well ahead of my time that this pedal is not going to sound good at all back when trying out um the guitar for the first time it seems like a lot of beginners try out pedals like this So I had a number of friends who had metal-type pedals to which every single one of them sounded horrible. This pedal is no exception. Running my fork across the plate sounds about what you get without this pedal. It may even sound better. I know that Boss is tailoring to the metal market, but come on, this thing sounds like garbage. I mean, you probably... It's not for you. Like, this is for a very select market, and it's not going to be for yeah. everyone. I mean, this guy so, does say, look, 
I've tried all these other metal pedals and they all sound bad. I mean, what type of music is he playing? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'd like... It's one of those things where you just don't read the reviews because especially not if you're poor... <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, especially if you're not poor boss. Like, yeah. they're, they're never... <laughs> Isn't, uh, Poor can't, boss, can't with you their millions that, and millions of dollars. Can't you use that in context of Burzum as well? <laughs> just, <laughs> like, just don't read the reviews. Just don't read the YouTube just comments. Just don't read the liner notes. <laughs> so are we going to have a um a bit of a... Uh, a demo? A bit of a demo. Yeah, let's An do it. An ex-in Ferris first. Yeah, do it. I've got to... Um, how do I... I've got to... So I'm going to be running my, um, my Gibson Les Paul. Yeah, your guitar's around the wrong way, mate. No, it's, it's the correct way. It's the left-hand way, if you will. Oh, the he's left-hand. Left is, yeah. Shut up. Oh, wait. Did you hear that? No. <laughs> I can't hear anything. Oh. Whoa. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. So I'm running my uh, my Gibson Les Paul into my Boss HM2 pedal. Which is directly, directly into, into your ass. <laughs> directly into my amp profiler. Uh... This is not going to sound great. Are you going to play Blowing in the Wind? <laughs> um, yeah, so should we give this a go? Give it a go, man. Let's... Okay, so here's my clean tone. What tuning are you in? So I am in the correct tuning. I am uh, m The majority of those old school bands played in B standard, which is generally a seven string kind of tuning. Uh, however, I have dropped it by another... Uh, full tone on the lower strings oh. give me a kind of a, a D drop D tuning okay uh, so let's give this a go so there's the clean and by the way this thing also kicks back a whole lot of noise <coughs> and a whole lot of feedback yeah so here we go sounded awful didn't it i mean it sounds great it yeah. actually i do think it sounds great yeah and you can't i, I had this conversation with a with a guy that i was in the band with who used the hm2 and we we're just saying it's so difficult to actually write death metal kind of atonal music without some kind of heavy distortion because when you play it without it it just sounds like yeah. clown music yeah just sounds if, like if you sent me that I really like that. There's something really... You play it with the... Um... 
that was played terribly. <laughs> I, I really like it actually. Uh, the uh, the clean. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it sounds um, quite ominous. Yeah. Uh, that that was great. Yeah. Well done. We'll do that more often. Yeah, but if <laughs> you sent if you sent me that uh, riff. And you said, I've, I've written this, I just want you to learn it. But you sent me going through that fucking pedal. I would just send it back to you. <laughs> fucking with a, with a picture of a middle finger. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So that's the HM2. Yeah. Go out to your nearest um, department eBay. store now and uh, pick one Your up. nearest cash converters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your nearest CEX. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the pedal. Well cool. done. Thank That's, you very much. It's all good. Another uh, another episode of X and Ferris in the bag. That's it. After a long break. The boys from below are back. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So where can everyone find us, Tom? Uh, they can find us... Uh, I've actually completely forgotten. <laughs> um, so SoundCloud are currently our hosts. Uh, the operative word they're being currently... Um, they're our hosts right now. Uh, they distribute us to a number of platforms, one in particular being iTunes. So you can find us at X and Ferris. Uh, I think we've actually changed, we changed it now. the name. So you smartly and... told me yeah. to put heavy metal yeah. in the. Um... That's that's our um, that's our SEO coming out there. Yeah. Um, so uh, our name is X and Ferris, a heavy metal podcast. Uh, so you'll be able to find us on iTunes and you'll be able to find us on SoundCloud. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, uh, X and Ferris podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, X and Ferris podcast. Um, what I uh, would love is if anyone actually does listen to this, please subscribe. Uh, please, if you have a moment, just write review, even if it's a bad review. Yeah, give us, well, it has to be a five star review. Otherwise, I'm coming for you. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It doesn't have to be five stars. <laughs> just anything. <laughs> I just like seeing people, the fact that they've said anything would be great. Um, you can also contact us uh, if you want us to talk about something, if you uh, want to tell us uh, how bad we're doing. Uh, just what you've been listening to. Yeah, you can either direct message us through any of the socials or you can actually contact us through our uh, email, which is uh, Podcast at gmail.com. That's the one. Yeah, we would really, really love to hear from people. Yeah, send us your demos. We will talk we'll about you. We'll trash it. Yeah, we will talk about you. Like, if you have any demos or anything like that, we will listen to it. And we will give you a very honest critique. <laughs> Stern <laughs> if that's fair. what we'd like. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. so. We're done. Godspeed. Godspeed. I am trying to think of some Godspeed? kind of slogan that we can have at the end of this. Satan speed. <laughs> That'll go. do.